0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel 6. We are continuing a series of sermons, a series of studies through the fruit of the Spirit as they are listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And this morning, we'll be looking at the fruit of the Spirit that is called faithfulness. And... uh, as an example of faithfulness, we'll be looking at Daniel and the story that's recorded in Daniel 6. Daniel 6, verses 1 through 23. This is God's Word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in his connection with the law of his God. Then the high officials and satraps came by arrangement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then those men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed." Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever forever. Woody Allen once famously said, 80% of success is showing up. 80% of success is showing up. I think what he was trying to say was trying to address that the reality that we tend to attribute success in this world with great talent or taking great risks or heroic efforts or serendipitous moments. But the reality is that the vast majority of, in the vast majority of cases, success comes after years of just plugging away in ordinary mundane responsibilities, self discipline in the small things of life, and just plain hard work. I don't know about you, but I often, when I'm reading articles on the internet, I often come across articles that have a title something like, seven habits of successful people or 10 habits of successful people or 20 habits of successful people. Have you ever noticed, have you ever read those articles? Have you ever noticed how mundane all of the habits are? Let me give you, I just pulled a couple of them up. It's easy. Google and you get like 20 articles immediately. And I read some of them. Here, here's what they recommend to be a success. Read regularly. Get up early. Get enough sleep. Work out. Keep a journal, meditate, listen to music. This is what successful people do. Showing up. I think a more biblical word for it is steadfastness. Serving continually. Steadfastness. It's a manifestation of the fruit of the spirit that the apostle Paul calls in Galatians 5 faithfulness. It's not sexy, it's not flashy, it's not exciting, but it is what the Lord expects of us, faithfulness. Some translations use the word faith in that list of the fruit of the Spirit. And it can be, the word in the original language can be translated as just faith. And faith is certainly a gift of the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, vast majority of commentators agree that it not referring to faith itself, but the outcome of our faith, the fruit of our faith, what impact our faith has in our lives, which is to produce faithfulness. Our trust in God produces a steadfastness in our lives, a continuity day in and day out to the way that we serve. There are other synonyms or related words that we'll find in Scripture are words like these, trustworthiness, integrity, reliability, loyalty. When you think of faithfulness, what you think of is a man or a woman who is a man or woman of the Word of God and a man or woman of their own Word. In other words, if you say you're going to do something, you follow through. You do it. That's faithfulness. You make a commitment, you take on responsibility and you fulfill the responsibility. That's faithfulness. There's a good biblical example of it back in Psalm 15. It begins by saying, oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. But then later in listing the characteristics of this faithful person, it says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change who swears to his own hurt and does not change in other words you make a vow you make a commitment you make a promise and then you find out that it's going to cost you more than you thought it was going to it's more inconvenient than you thought it was going to be but you're true to your word and you do what you've promised to do you keep your commitment that's faithfulness as we look at the character of Daniel in scripture we're going to see that faithfulness was his defining characteristic. Unlike a lot of other people that we meet in the pages of Scripture, Daniel wasn't known for great heroic deeds on the battlefield. He wasn't known for great miracles. Daniel was known most of all for being faithful over a very long period of time in very difficult circumstances. He was faithful. You'll notice we read even in verse 4, When in the course of the story we'll be looking at this morning, his enemies are rooting around in his closets trying to find some kind of dirt, trying to find something that they can accuse him of. They find nothing. It says they could find no ground. This is verse 4. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. He was steadfast because of the steadfast love of God in his life, its faithfulness. The story we're looking at takes place at the end of the 70 years of exile. Remember that God had disciplined his people by bringing the powerful empire, the Babylonian empire against them to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, to take his people captive back to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah promised it would be 70 years. And the story we're looking at here in Daniel 6 takes place at the end of that 70 years of exile. Daniel was one of the young men who had been taken in the first wave of captives 70 years earlier. Just to give you a sense of how old Daniel would be at this time. 70 years earlier, Daniel had been taken as one of the first set of captives. And those captives were they, they picked the best of the young men. And they brought them into the king's palace in Babylon, and they trained them to serve in the palace. And Daniel really became extremely well-loved among the the palace courts and and by the kings, and he became very, over a period of time, became very elevated in his role and his authority in the king's service. But then what happened is, at the beginning of chapter 6, is that the Babylonian empire, was defeated by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the next up and coming world empire. And after the Medes and the Persians came in and took over, they kept some of the rulers that had ruled under the Babylonian empire and Daniel was one of them. And Darius the Mede was the new king and Darius in setting up a government over this new territory for the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, he divided it into 120 districts and put governors over those districts called satraps And then over those 120 districts and those 120 satraps, he elevated three men to be in charge over all of them, the three highest positions in his government. And Daniel was made one of those three because he was so highly thought of. As we look at the example of Daniel, as the work of the Holy Spirit in creating faithfulness in his people, the first thing we're going to notice is the effect of our faithfulness in this fallen world. The effect of our faithfulness in this fallen world. Look at verse 3. King Darius there, he planned to make Daniel. Already Daniel was one of the top three most powerful officials in the government. King Darius was going to make him over the other two. In other words, make him his number two man, the most powerful man under the king in the entire government. Predictably, when the other officials heard about this, they were bitter and jealous and they tried to find dirt on him anywhere they could to accuse him, to bring him down. But as we saw in verse four, they could find nothing in regard to the laws of the kingdom. Imagine a government official that was above reproach. In verse five, I think you find one of the best compliments for any believer in terms of their faithfulness. Listen to what they say. This is, this is the enemies of Daniel. They say, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. In other words, what they want to find, what they're going to look for is something that Daniel does in obedience to his God that violates the laws of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. They understand that Daniel has a higher loyalty and a higher commitment to the authority that is over all authorities, which is God himself. And that he must obey God rather than men. You know that that's always what the world finds threatening about believers. It is our prayer that the Church of Jesus Christ does such good works among men that we give glory to God in heaven and we vindicate ourselves against any accusations of the world, we pray that that would be the case. Too often it's not. But even when we are faithful and do what is right, it is our ultimate loyalty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that is going to threaten the authorities in this world. They know that if it comes to a place where we are forced to choose between faithfulness and loyalty, to our God and faithfulness and loyalty to the governing authorities in this world, we will always choose to be faithful to God. Therefore, we are always a threat no matter how faithful and righteous we may be. And as Peter told the religious authorities and civil authorities, so to speak, in his own day when he was told to stop preaching the gospel, that's when he said, we must obey God rather than men. That's the position these men wanted to put Daniel in. And so they come up with a scheme to f- force Daniel to choose between faithfulness to God or faithfulness to the king. They convince King Darius to make a temporary law for 30 days. I don't know why. The text doesn't say why only 30 days. Maybe they realized they couldn't enforce this long term. But at least for a very brief period of time, 30 days, No citizen of the kingdom was allowed to pray to any God or man except to King Darius. They threw that in there so they'd be sure that Darius would pass it. They would appeal to his ego. That that this would be a test of loyalty to the throne. A test of loyalty to King Darius. That for 30 days they would agree to pray to no other God or no other man except Darius himself. They convinced him to make it a law of the Medes and Persians. If you were here for several months ago, we did a study through the book of Esther. You'll recognize that. The law of the Medes and the Persians. It meant any law with that designation could not be revoked even by the king himself. And they made it a capital offense. Death by hungry lions. You know, this is similar. When I think about the clash between our submission to the authorities in the land, which Paul tells us in Romans 13, that we are to submit to the governing authorities as appointed by God, But those invariably those times when we are asked to choose between loyalty to earthly authorities or loyalty to the Lord God himself, when I think of that clash, I always think of the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, they were supposedly one of the most tolerant kingdoms the earth had ever seen. They allowed all their conquered countries and tribes and peoples to keep their religion, to worship their gods, to keep their idols, whatever they wanted to worship, they were free to worship it as long as they were willing to offer incense as an act of worship to Caesar, and to say out loud, Caesar is Lord. And that is what the Christians could not do. And so many of the Christians in the day of those Caesars were fed to lions, among other horrendous types of execution. This is the reality that we live out as disciples of Jesus Christ in this world, but not of this world, under the authorities of this planet, but ultimately under the authority of the Lord God of all planets. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter two, we are the aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. That faithfulness to our God is going to earn us many blessings in this world because of common grace, because there are good things about faithful people, people who keep the law of God are good for any society. But we need to recognize that our ultimate loyalty to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is going to cause many in our lives to resent our presence, to persecute us, to ridicule us, possibly even to kill us. That's the reality that every generation of the church has faced. Faithfulness makes us the aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. And we need to get used to that divisive effect that our lives will have if we are faithful to our Lord. The second thing that the example of Daniel teaches us is the source of our faithfulness. Where do we get the motivation, the power, the desire to be faithful, especially when it gets difficult? Look at verse 10. Daniel there finds out about the decree that the king has made. And what does he immediately do? He goes home. Opens his windows towards Jerusalem, gets down on his knees and prays to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God of the universe. Now, I want you to recognize that he's not thumbing his nose at his enemies. He's not seeking to be martyred. He's not doing this to make a name for himself. He's doing this because this is what he has always done. This is what faithfulness looked like for Daniel. It says in verse 10, look at the end of verse 10. He prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This was his habit. This was his daily pattern. He was faithful in prayer. You know, Solomon, you might wonder why open his windows towards Jerusalem. That's not something we typically do. But he, in exile, was remembering the words of Solomon. Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple many, many years earlier. He said, actually in his prayer on the day of the dedication of the temple, he said that there will come a day when God will discipline his people and they will be taken away captive to a strange land as exiles. And in that day, they will pray toward Jerusalem and toward the temple because that is where their true citizenship lies. That is where their identity is. And I'm struck by the fact in verse 13 that Daniel's enemies, his rivals, call him there one of the exiles from Judah. He had been in Babylon and now in the kingdom of Medes for over 70 years. The guy was over 80 years old. And still he's known as one of the exiles of Judah because he never gave up his citizenship, never, never gave up his identity, never gave up his values. He was faithful to his God. But think about it, he went home, opened the windows, prayed three times a day as he always did before. I don't know about you, but I would have been tempted to skip devotions for a month there. I'm sure many of us have done it for lesser reasons. I would have been tempted at least to shut the windows and pray in secret. I would probably even quote the Sermon on the Mount and say, you know, don't go out on the streets and pray, go and pray in your closet in secret. But Daniel, for Daniel knew that for him to be faithful to his God, he needed to not change his normal practice. That for him to stop praying with his windows open toward Jerusalem and to stop praying three times a day would be to deny God. And therefore to be unfaithful to his God. And so he did it knowing full what the consequences would be. Notice though, before we get into the consequences, notice that it says that he begins his prayer. We don't know the content of his prayers, but it says that he began his prayer in the face of certain death. He begins his prayer by giving thanks. He gave thanks to the Lord in the face of death itself. Isn't that what thankfulness is? Isn't thankfulness rehearsing the faithfulness of God to us? It's remembering God's promises. And remembering how God has been faithful to all the promises he's ever made to us. I challenge anybody, I do this often, but I challenge anybody to show me anywhere where God has broken a promise that he has made. He has never broken a single one. And so Daniel begins by thanking God for his faithfulness. And he teaches us that that's where the source of our faithfulness comes from. We do not produce faithfulness from our own willpower. Remember, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit strengthens this thankfulness, strengthens this faithfulness by reminding us of who God is, what he has promised us, and how he has been faithful to all those promises. Scripture reminds us over and over and over again that God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. All of scripture and all of history is driven by the covenant promises of God. You do not understand scripture and you do not understand history if you do not see it all structured and built on the foundation of the covenant promises of God. And that is the basis of our faith. Not only that God has promised these things, but that God is faithful to fulfill every one of those promises. That's what our faith is about. Psalm 145, verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all of his words. First Corinthians 10, 13, we read earlier, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse three, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, he is faithful. 1 John 1, 9, again we read earlier, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is where you get the power to be faithful is remembering God's faithfulness to you and doing it through prayer. It says in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises and we can trust every one of them. Scripture uses often the analogy of marriage between God and his people, between Christ and his church, that marriage is the basis of our relationship with God. And what is marriage but a relationship that is built entirely on a promise, on a vow, a covenant vow. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He promises to be faithful to us. He promises to predestine, call, justify, and glorify us, according to Romans 8. And he will fulfill his promises. Daniel's example teaches us the importance, the vital importance of prayer. Prayer is an expression of faith. And prayer is the means by which faithfulness becomes the characteristic of our lives. And if you're not praying faithfully like Daniel did, then you cannot expect to have the same strength of faith and therefore the same faithfulness in your life that Daniel had. Prayer was the key to strengthening his faith and his faithfulness. That brings us to the outcome of our faithfulness as we see it in Daniel's life. These jealous officials, these enemies of Daniel, remind the king of his decree. Strategically, they go in and say, remember what you said, king. And this is a law of the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be changed And then they report that his beloved advisor, servant, Daniel, has violated that decree three times a day, every day. The king is horrified. He's horrified and he's distraught and he spends the rest of the day trying to figure out any way he could possibly save Daniel from execution. But finally he relents and Daniel is thrown into a pit full of hungry lions. They covered that just to make sure that nobody could take him out or he couldn't get out. They covered the pit with a large stone and the king took his signet ring, which was a symbol of his authority and all the authorities under him and they sealed the stone and the pit with his ring. The king then is so distraught that he goes home, he can't sleep, refuses all entertainment, refuses all food hoping against hope that somehow Daniel's God was real enough and powerful enough to deliver him. First thing in the morning, he gets up, he runs to the pit, has the stone removed, and he shouts into the darkness and he says, according to verse 20, "O Daniel, servant of the living God, as your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions?" And he hears the familiar voice coming back from the darkness saying, My God is able, and he has delivered me. He says, God rescued him because, he says, I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Now, let me be clear that being faithful and trusting God for deliverance and vindication is not always going to lead to that deliverance and vindication coming in this life and this world. Sometimes it will. Sometimes God will intervene, and he'll do something spectacular to glorify himself and to bear witness to the world. But actually, more often than not, from my observation of history and experience, the vindication and deliverance doesn't come in this life. It comes in the next, but it comes. It surely comes. In Hebrews chapter 11... It talks about some of the great men and women of faith who lived faithfully to the Lord. And it says this about them first. I'm always fascinated by the way it talks about them. It begins in verse 32 of Hebrews 11 by saying, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. These are the winners in this world. God acted on their behalf to do mighty acts of, of victory and, and vindication in this world, in this life. But it goes on to say, in verse, picking up in Verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Their vindication and their victory came After death, but it surely came. God has promised that he will vindicate your faith in him and that you will be victorious in the life to come. That is his promise. And he is faithful to fulfill that promise just as he is every other promise. We live our lives in this world longing to be considered successful I mean, think about how many things you do day in and day out because you want to be seen by the people around you as successful in this world. And it's a trap. It'll destroy your soul if you give yourself into it too much. But God does not define success the same way the world does. I'll never forget that. God defines success in terms of faithfulness to him, to his promises, to his word, to his law. That's what success looks like. Believing his promises, trusting in them, and then living accordingly. And what we live for is not the approval of any earthly authority, not the vindication of any earthly authority, not the approval of our family, not the approval of our friends. What we live for is when the Lord Jesus Christ will stand before us on that day when he returns in total victory and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. You know, the problem, and I'm sure some of you have thought of it already, is what about the fact when we're not faithful, God is faithful. In this covenant that we're in, this marriage to God that we, the bride of the the, the church, are in with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's been so perfectly faithful, but we've been so unfaithful. Even this morning, we've been unfaithful. What do we do about that? We've broken our vows repeatedly. We've committed spiritual adultery over and over But never forget that God's greatest promise was that he would one day send a redeemer, one who would stand in our place, both being perfectly faithful in our place in thought, word, and deed before God and man, and would also stand in our place in bearing the punishment for our unfaithfulness when he died on the cross for us. Just think about the shadows of Jesus Christ we see in the life of daniel daniel the example of daniel is not to say to us you need to try harder to be faithful the example of daniel to us is to look to the greater daniel to come jesus is that greater daniel who not only was perfectly faithful to god in the eyes of men but also in the eyes of god himself no sin in thought word indeed secondly Jesus was also hated by the leaders, the authorities of his time because of his faithfulness to God. Jesus also stood before an earthly ruler who had all power and authority to execute him. A ruler, in Jesus' case as well, who did not want to execute him but gave in to peer pressure to do so. And Jesus was also executed Like Daniel was executed, although Jesus actually went to the very depths of death itself, whereas Daniel was delivered in the midst of that execution. Jesus was sealed with a stone that was sealed with the highest symbol of authority, of earthly authority. It was sealed just as well as Daniel's stone was sealed by the king. And that earthly authority meant nothing when it came to the authority of God. And God the Father raised him from the dead. He went to the very pits of hell to endure the punishment that our sins deserved. He died in the fullest sense of the word because he endured all of hell in our behalf. And then God raised him from the dead, the ultimate vindication of his faithful servant. And our risen Lord offers to all who will put their trust in him to be forgiven for our sins and reconciled to our God. And we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that produces in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which include faithfulness to our God. Let's pray. Father, it has been initially discouraging to look at these fruit of the Spirit and to realize how sorely lacking they are in our lives, how little peace and patience and joy and faithfulness that we find when we look at the way that we live day in and day out. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful on our behalf, faithful even to the point of death, even to the pits of hell. And, Lord, thank you that you not only vindicated him, but gave us the victory of his resurrection, that we might be transformed. And so, Lord, even though we are sorely lacking in faithfulness, we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has promised to be patient with us, to continue to work in us, to transform us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to be like him. Lord, please make us more like him. And may our faithfulness do the kind of division in our culture that we that we talked about earlier, the kind that will draw those whom you are calling to yourself, that will draw them to you through our witness and words. And Lord, speak of justice and coming judgment to those who will not hear. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.